This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Uh, It's a privilege to come and uh, share with us again this evening. Uh, You know what? It's not a bank holiday in heaven. God's still, the bank of heaven is still open. God is still able to meet our needs. He's still able to answer our prayers. He's still able to do what we need. It doesn't take a holiday. This evening, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll turn in the book, uh, to the book of Acts. It's a little, a little tense this morning whenever a pastor was speaking. Um, because he, he, uh, uh, he was dancing very close to a few verses I was thinking about, and there actually was a moment. <laughs> My heart dropped, and I went, what was plan B? <laughs> uh, tonight, I want to speak about the conflict. The conflict. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses here. I'm going to start at verse 14. It says... Acts 4.14, And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, is manifest to us all, or to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And verse 21. So when they had threatened, uh, further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing uh, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Praise the Lord. This is a short period of time after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost the great influx of people into the church. The apostles are still gathered in Jerusalem and they're gathered together. They're having their own fellowship with the other believers and I'm sure there's discipleship going on and they're talking about, uh, about Jesus and the life of Jesus. They're still buoyed and full of the Holy Spirit and feeling wonderful about life. And we know the story. They go to the temple that day and it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. They go to the temple and on the way, the man standing, sitting at the temple gate begging for for money, for food, for something. And they say unto him, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give I thee. Arise and walk. And the man walks into the temple with them, walking perfectly whole. I'm sure that caused a stir because everyone had passed the man. Some of them might not even have seen him, but they caused a stir. He went into the temple and Peter and John, it's just still full of the spirit, walking, you know, it's, what's the old song? Running through a troop and jumping over a wall. They were, let's go get them. Boyd, and they were preaching. They started proclaiming Jesus. Look at the man, you all walked past. You wouldn't give him the time of day. Look at him, he's no different from any of us now. He's been healed. He's been, he's been elevated again to a normal position. He's a, he's a complete man again. And here I'm sure they preached and they preached a sermon and everyone was going like, wow, that's amazing. And the people who might've given him alms because it was a holy thing to do, were, they were encouraged and they were strengthened. And the chief priests don't like that because well, this, we thought we'd killed off this sect, but here it is again. Here's arisen again. It hasn't gone away. As a certain politician said a few years ago, it was still on the scene. The chief priests didn't like it. They never liked it whenever Jesus was on the scene. They didn't like his popularity. They didn't like the way he spoke without referring to them. As pastor said this morning, he spoke with his own authority. He was popular. He brought a message of hope, a message of deliverance, a message that they were uneasy with. He came along and everyone in the city knew of him. Jesus was a popular person. 
They all were aware of the surprise trial and execution. I say surprise trial because it happened at night and not everyone was there and it was rushed through and, and all the rest. And I'm sure there was, they, were, they were treading on, on eggshells about what was the, the public going to do. Oh no, if someone comes along and preaches in that name, we could, have, we could have real serious trouble. And yet here's someone come along and they're doing a miracle of all things. You know, we can argue about what they said. They, they were probably saying amongst themselves, we can argue about what their teaching is, but they did a miracle. Here's a man who's been healed Here's a man who has now been restored. Here's a man who is now whole in his body. Can't argue against a miracle. Everyone was aware of the resurrection. Historically, Jesus appeared to up to 500 people. The, the chief priests and Pharisees knew he was, he was crucified. They knew he was killed. So they could have you know, said, oh no, he really wasn't. But there's witnesses. People had seen him. Word had spread. They could have presented a body, uh, you know, a, a mangled you know, body from a, another cross somewhere and said, this is Jesus. Look, he wasn't raised, but they couldn't do it because too many people had witnessed. Too many people had noticed. So they gather in these two, two uh, disciples, Peter and John. They bring them in and say, listen, you gotta, gotta stop. They didn't say it nicely. They threatened them. Listen, you can do whatever you want, speak whatever you want, but don't mention that name. Don't mention the name of Jesus. It's, it's, we're not comfortable with that name. That's a name that has ramifications for our ministry or our public service or for our office, political office. That's a name we just don't want to hear. Don't preach in that name. You can preach in any other name, any other name, but don't preach in that name. You notice that he said, do not speak or teach in the name of Christ. Verse 18 there. It says, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. They didn't even want a mention of his name. Didn't even want his name uttered. Back then, it wasn't a curse word. It was just a name. There's a lot of people called Jesus. It was a common name. But there was only one Jesus of Nazareth. They could argue against the things they preached, but they couldn't argue against the witness of the man who was healed. It actually says there in verse 22, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. He wasn't a kid, he was an adult. And they were like, no, we can argue about doctrine, but there's a testimony. I can't argue about a testimony. And you know what? There's people there who have seen the testimony, have heard the testimony, and have agreed with the testimony. And it was the testimony that was the one thing that saved them that day. Someone once wrote, men may more than match you in subtlety of argument. In intellectual argument, you may suffer an easy defeat, but the argument of a redeemed life is unassailable. I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you confidence tonight. An argue, the argument of a life changed cannot be argued against. A life changed, a life redeemed, a life restored. That's a powerful testimony. We might not know all of the verses necessary to defend the faith. We might not know them all, but you know what? We know what God has done in our lives. We know what God has done in the life of the person sitting next to you. You know the, the story of someone sitting on the other side of the room? God has a, a testimony written in our lives. And the, the enemy can tell us all he wants. See, I'm getting too excited. I'm jumping ahead of my notes. We, the enemy can tell us not to preach in that name, not to speak about that name. But you know what? He can't, can, can't, cannot argue out of a testimony. He cannot argue out of what God has done in your life. We are called as the children of God, as the people of God, we are called to be witnesses, witnesses for that change in our lives, witnesses to what God has done in our lives, witnesses to the change wrought in our family members and those people we know. We were lost in our sins, totally lost. You know, I can testify. I can, I can say I was lost. I was un, lost and undone, as the, the song goes, without Christ or his son. Christ the Son. I was lost. We were all lost. Did we have a hope without Christ? Did we have a way of escape? 
Was there any life in us, spiritually speaking? Were we alive? We were lost, hell-bent and hell-deserving. But he came along and he saved us. He came along and he lived a life that we could not live. He led his perfect spotless life down on the cross of Calvary and paid the price. He paid the price that I could not pay. Glory to God. Thank the Lord that he has saved me. Thank the Lord that we've got something to be confident about tonight. Thank the Lord we've got something to praise him for. You know what? I can't praise him about things going well in my life, but you know what? You can praise him about what he did that time. He saved me. He saved me from a lost eternity. He gave me a hope and a future. He planted his plans and desires in my heart. He gave me something to live for. He gave me a bigger vision of this world than the world gives me. God does a great thing in our lives if we'll let him. I say if we let him because there's people who aren't saved and they don't let him. They don't want to know. People are walking around spiritually, like spiritual zombies, dead. Going through the emotions, so consumed with this world. I was reading it earlier as I was thinking about this message. I, I, I flicked open to C.S. Lewis's book. Um, he did it called A Pilgrim's Regress, which is a story about his philosophical story about how he came to salvation. And in it, he is captured, the, the character in it is captured by a giant called the spirit of this age. And the spirit of the age, when it gazes upon these people who are in this prison of the spirit of the age, They see their internal organs. They see their bones. They see their veins. They see the material things. That's all they see, the flat, those things. There's nothing else to life. That's what the world says. So many people are living that way, lost. The scales are over their eyes, unaware of the greater picture, unaware of the Savior, unaware of their lost future without him. It's a good thing for us to rejoice and to stir up in ourselves that, that joy. It says rejoice, to rejoice in what God has done for us, to stir it up. Because these are days when we will face and we are facing increasingly more and more conflict, more and more, especially in this country especially in this country, more and more. Every day we're seeing things that are happening. We're having things said to us and about us. We're having people painting us all with the same brush and automatically lumping everyone into the same corner and saying, that's it, you're all the same. See, you Christians, that's you, and you're all ignorant. You all know nothing. That's the way the world is getting to. That's the way it is in many places of this world. But in Northern Ireland, it's increasing, increasing by the day. Where they want to silence, they want to silence the church. They want to silence the people of God. They want to, they want to remove God and the Bible from our lives. And by doing so, that'll give them peace with their life, because then they won't be convicted. We see it increasingly every day. It's good for us to remember what God has done in our lives and hold on to the testimony, hold on to that witness. It says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know what? It doesn't matter what that church does or that group does. It's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about what we do. It's all about how we handle the arguments. It's all about how we handle the discussions. It's all about how we articulate what we believe. You notice every time they have a big discussion, and uh, some I remember getting a call there last year. Sharon called me and said, "Did you hear the Nolan show?" And they, of course, they bring out some guy to answer the questions, and uh, he gets up and he, the questions were about something very pertinent, and, and he tries to answer the question, and I'm listening to the argument, and it, his argument wasn't wrong, but I'm sort of listening to it, thinking to myself, "I know what the world's thinking." When they hear those arguments, they're, they're just, they're putting up their shields and they're going, hang on, you're insulting me. We have to remember what way we say things to people. There's a way to say something to someone that's truthful. And there's a way to say to something to someone that is hurtful. 
Rabbi Zacharias, who I listen to, he's, his quote is, he says, uh, he says it's, what you don't want to do is cut someone's nose off and then hand them a, a rose to smell. We have to remember, we have to remember that. We have a good message, a good news, the good news. And we have to remember what way we offer it to people. And as I said there, we are called to be witnesses to God, witnesses to what God has done in our lives. And it's hard to argue against the testimony. You know, our enemies come against us and they talk about us and they, they come instead with a, a, instead of a coming out violently against us as they do in certain parts of the world, they come against us with their silver tongue and they, they talk about us and they whisper about us and they create a, a story about Christians and about Christian beliefs. And that's really what I'm, 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 I'm speaking on tonight is this conflict that we have with the world. And in many ways, it's not a conflict of our making. In many ways, we are caught in the middle because this is a conflict between the prince of this world and the prince of that world. The enemy doesn't like the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't like the kingdom of God. And so the world, the flesh and the devil all work in harmony in, in, a, in a way to, to, to put Christians down, to belittle us, to, to, to destroy the image of God on this earth. And that's their plan. And I want us to be aware of that, aware that there is a battle going on. There is a conflict going on. I know that we do face things individually and personally in our own lives, things that we haven't personally seen fulfilled or, or things that we might struggle with uh, as far as God's will and God's plan and our, what our future is. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the big picture as a, as a collective and as individuals when it comes to our witness and our testimony. Because the, the enemy has set up a system now, a secular and aggressive liberal system, which is designed to demoralize, demolish, and wipe out the children of God. And I say it that way because that is their ultimate goal. How else can they stand back and allow so much of the persecution of Christians around the world and not, not raise a hand? You know, we can argue, we can say, you know, we, we don't know what all of them are believers in the way we understand. We, we talk about being believers. They might have Christian as a label, but some of them are genuine Christians. Some of them are really people who lay down their life and they go, you know what? I, I'm not going to lay, I'm not going to give up this Jesus. I, I, you know, I might've been born in a Christian family, they say, and the, but I'm, I'm not going to give it up for Muhammad. See it all the time in the news. You have to be blind or else aggressively liberal and secular not to care. They want to quiet and silence the voice of God in our society. Can you imagine a TV show, documentary, or a, a political panel, and they have some people on it, and they're going to dis discuss trafficking. So they have on there, they've got the... Uh, psychologist, they've got on there the social worker, they've got on there uh, someone from the police, and they've got a minister. Who do you think the world is going to say is the least educated and the most biased? It's going to be the minister. Not too many years ago, it wouldn't have been that way. But that's the way it is today. They bring out the minister or the pastor, and they, they bring them out just for a bit of crack. Let's hear, let's, you know, let's bring them on and, and you know, we'll belittle them. And that's the way it is today. They want to belittle and bring down. As I said, this is, this is coming to Northern Ireland. It's here already. If you don't think it's here already, you know, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> it's here already. This very morning, I posted on Facebook, the church's Facebook God has planned to show up at church today because he delights in spending time with his children. Join in fellowship with those who are called by his name. Come have a direct encounter with God in church today. You don't know what you're missing. And I spelt church wrong. That's simple. That's all I said. Nothing political. And I got a sarcastic comment and reply about whenever you're there, ask him what he thinks about one human loving another human and people stopping them from getting married. 
That's the way of it. Someone who's not even on our Facebook, it's just a friend of a friend on the Facebook. Someone else, has, someone else liked it and their friend seen it. That's the way of it. You want to belittle us. Oh, when you're in there talking to the spaghetti monster God, ask him this. Sarcasm and belittling. They want to pull us down, weaken your reasoning. As Pastor was saying this morning about science and the Bible, getting more faith in the things that we can see. The spirit of the age seems all thing is flat. It's all carnal. It's all just flesh, just organs. What does it matter? That's the way of this world. But why do they hate the preaching of Christ? Why do they hate it? The preaching of Christ reminds the enemy that he's on a limited time scale. It reminds the enemy he's on a short leash, that there is a final day. There is a day of judgment coming. You know, sometimes we shy away from that, but there is a day coming when all the, all the records will be opened and all the scores, you know, I don't want to say scores will be settled, but all the, all the accounts will be laid bare and the judge of all the earth will do what is right. There is a day coming. There is a day. We have that hope in that day. The enemy doesn't like that. The world doesn't like it. They want to plow ahead and live their own way. We don't want to hear about that, Jesus because he reminds us of judgment. He reminds us of that. We just want a fluffy Jesus. You know, whenever Peter denied Christ, could there have been an element whenever they said, Is that, you knew that Jesus there? Could there have been an element where he said, I know a Jesus, not that suffering Jesus. I know a Jesus who was popular. Could there have been an element of that? They want the popular Jesus. They want the fluffy. They want the nice, the cuddly. They don't want the judgmental Jesus but he is the same, same Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 8 says, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank the Lord he's coming back. Thank the Lord, you know, he is coming back and he's no longer suffering servant. He is now the risen Christ, seated on the throne, Praise the Lord. We serve a, a, a mighty God, a mighty God. You know, we, I'm talking here about the conflict of the world coming against the church, but you know, don't, don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of the fact that God is still on the throne and that he still has the final. My aunt used to sing this song a number of years ago. We won, we won, we, hallelujah, we run. I, I read the back of the book and we win. Praise the Lord. I've read the back of the book and we win. The enemy comes against us and he, he tries to demoralize us and pull our faith down, pull our hope down. But the truth is that God still wins. God is still the same yesterday, today and forever. So the enemy is consumed with a hatred towards God, towards Jesus. He doesn't want that name said. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it talks about us as his ambassadors, as the ambassadors of Christ in this world. We represent another kingdom. We are pilgrims through this world. We're here to, to do a mission. We're here to deliver a message from another kingdom. We are here to deliver a message from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to those people who are locked in prisons. We've got a powerful ministry and message Remember a couple of years ago, 2012, the embassy, U.S. embassy in Libya stormed. The ambassador was killed. 1980, the Iranian embassy siege. 1979, the, again, the other Iranian embassy siege of the American embassy in Iran. Countless bombings and attacks against embassies are all political statements against the kingdom that those embassies represent. So a tax against us is a tax against his kingdom. <coughs> the enemy wants to make a statement to the kingdom that we serve. He wants to make a, a statement to the king of kings and tell him you're not welcome, that you're defeated in this planet, that you have no right here. But I can tell you it's, it's only a short-lived statement. 
with all the crimes that happen, murder and things like that there, it's not just a, a terrible crime against a person and a family, but it's also an attack against God because these are people who bear the image of God. So these attacks and this here persecution that comes against us might not be as open as the, the things that are happening in the Middle East, but certainly we have a persecution. We have a, a, a desire by the enemy, by the world of flesh and the devil to weaken our resolve, to weaken our faith, to weaken our confidence in God. St. Clair Ferguson said, Christians are persecuted for the sake of righteousness because of their loyalty to Christ. Real loyalty up to him, real loyalty to him creates friction in the hearts of those who pay him only lip service. Loyalty arouses their consciousness and leaves them with only two alternatives, to follow Christ or to silence him. Often their only way of silencing Christ is by silencing his servants. Persecution in subtle and less subtle forms is the result. We have already seen that the gospel produces a lifestyle characterized by righteousness. In practice, that means absolute integrity, whether at home, in the workplace, or even at play. But, but such integrity challenges the moral indifference of the world, not least in our own age. Not to, do with the, with, not to do the things everybody does stirs the world's sleepy, sleepy conscience. More than that, it irritates it and causes annoyance and even anger. You would not think that simple honesty could be so dangerous a lifestyle until you put it into practice on the shop floor. For the Christian who is employed by another person, righteousness demands that he give his employer the time and energy which he has paid. It means moral integrity, but how angry other employees can be when such integrity is displayed. We see that all around us. People responding with such aggression towards Christians, even in the workplaces. I mean, that's just being, you know, walking with integrity. Nigel up there is telling me about, at one point about uh, his work and about everyone commenting on how efficient he is at work. It's because he's so honest with his record keeping, so honest with the way he, he carries out his work. They don't like it whenever we have a different standard of morality to them. They don't like it when we live according to the book. They don't like it at all. It angers them and it makes them aggressive, it makes them uh, uh, hateful, sometimes even hateful. I mean, that their post on Facebook was just sarcastic, but I've, I've seen many, and, and if anyone ever goes on my Facebook, I'm sure you've seen them. There are hateful, because they, there's something in them rises up. The, the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age, their own flesh, it just rises up. I don't want anyone to be over us. I want to set my own compass. I want to live my own way. I don't like the fact that you are elitist and you've got a higher standard. So it irritates them, it winds them up no end. Remember, it's Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There are people behind those comments. You have to remember that. They're responding in a certain way. But as I said, you don't cut off their nose to give them a flower to smell. They're rising up with anger, and it's, it's difficult. I, I know it's difficult not to respond in the same way because we've got flesh, we've got pride, we've got our own sort of, you know, we are people. And it's difficult not to, to rise up, but remember, they are people, are people, are people. And you know, that person we stand and you look at, you talking to them, you never know that person could be your brother and sister next week standing in the pew with you. You could be, you'd have the privilege of leading them in tears to Christ. You never know. But they're responding out of this, this, this their, their secular beliefs, this world system. In our day and age, this is the same. This has always been the way. The world wants nothing more than to silence those who speak out in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's illogical. Why would, you, why would you not like someone to speak in the name of Jesus? Even if they're only speaking kindly and you know, they're not preaching conviction. Why, why would that be? Unless there's something behind it. 
You have to remember there's something behind it. Mm-hmm. Pastor's always good at reminding us, you know, in the Middle East, in the Israeli conflict, there's, always, there's something behind it. There's a spirit behind it. And there is, so too in our case, I'm not just talking this message about preachers and pastors, but now increasingly business owners, politicians, doctors, nurses, teachers, anyone in business, anyone who mixes in the world at all is finding it more and more difficult to talk about God. I can remember it's about 10 years ago, finding it difficult talking about God. Well, I shouldn't say I found it difficult because I didn't, but um, I found a wee bit of tension whenever um, I hired a girl who was a Jehovah Witness in my work. And what I would do, because it is, I'm aware, it's very difficult sometimes to bring up a conversation about the things of God and about God and eternity and things like that there. So purposefully what I'll do is I'll take my Bible into work and leave it lying. <laughs> so they come in and go, what's that? What's oh, the Bible, you know? Um, so it is difficult. It was difficult then because, you know, she's my assistant manager. If I had said something, she could have, you know, taken, taken umbrage with, you know, my head office and that would be all whole bunch of stuff. But it's becoming increasingly in our day and age where people are getting more and more tension over it. Tension about it, they don't want to hear. Think of my uncle who's, um, who's not a believer. He's got a son who lives um, in Australia and the son was coming over to visit for a while. He, wasn't, he never lived in Northern Ireland, the son. He's, so he's unfamiliar with some of our ter- terminology. And my uncle told him, listen, you're gonna meet Willie and Evelyn. Now, I should warn you, they're good living. And that's all I'll say. So Trevor, who's never been to Northern Ireland, didn't know what good living meant. <laughs> so next thing you know, we're sitting around. So they are in the, in the house and they're having a cup of tea. So Trevor, tell us about your life. Tell us, how's the, how's the job? How's the whatever? And Trevor's talking away. And he says, by the way, tell me, what does good living mean? <laughs> in front of my un- uncle. Uh, and uh, so my mom and dad, I've spoken to my uncle many, many times about the Lord, uh, then proceeded to tell Trevor what good living meant. My, un- my uncle was furious. <laughs> but you know what? It's important that we do that. Sometimes, you know, it's important that we take our opportunities. <coughs> Having an opportunity is one thing, but taking another opportunity is a totally different thing. It's important that we seize those and we, we do say what we can. We can't always preach the gospel. We can't always tell our personal testimony, but we can say something. We can say something. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the, will, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You know, it doesn't have to be a big, well-scripted sermon. It could be just a few words. It could be a verse. It could be a story, as Wilson was sharing this morning. It doesn't have to be some sort of great theological treatise. It just has to be something personal. Even whenever you speak, anyone who speaks can tell you, if you get up and you just read out words, it means nothing unless it means something. Unless it means something here, that makes all the difference. And whenever you speak with conviction and honesty, integrity about what you've experienced and what you believe and what you've read and how this impacted me and how this helped me, people hear that. Maybe the truth is, individually people are more honest than they are collectively. Individually on their own, people are more honest than they are in a group. You can have opportunities there that you wouldn't normally have. We all preach in our own ways. And like I said, it's not about our style. It's not about our abilities. It's, it's about our content. It's about, are we preaching? Are we talking? Talking, let's put talking. Are we talking about Jesus? That's the most important thing. But this isn't the new problem for the church, the people of God. It's not a new problem. It's been going on throughout the Bible and throughout history. We're just very aware of it in this day and age because we've had an easy time. Let's be honest. We've had an easy time. But it's not a new problem. It's been going on for many years. In Exodus chapter 1, it talks about the children of Israel living in Egypt under the Egyptian taskmasters. 
talks about them being used and pressed into service. It says in verse eight, it says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, look, the the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. They wanted to drill shrewdly with them. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithion, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the children of Egypt made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. The children of Israel, the people of God, were being shrewdly dealt with. Taskmasters were put over them to dictate to them all the aspects of their lives. They dictated to them what they were going to build. They dictated to them where they were going to build it. They dictated to them what materials they were going to build with. They dictated every aspect of their lives and they got them so filled with their work that they were worked with rigor, which, which by definition def, def, implies that they were exhausted. They were wearying them with hard labor. They filled them with their plans and their agendas. We want to build this. Listen, you want to build something else? We don't want you to build that kingdom. We want you to build this kingdom. They do it in our lives as well. They try to. They fill our lives with things, plans, things to build, things to do. But we don't want to build. They don't want us to build that kingdom. They don't want us to be aware of the kingdom of heaven. They want us to be filled with this kingdom, with this here and now. They want us to be filled with thoughts of what we can own and what can, we can have, with chasing after the Joneses. Glad there's, is there any Joneses? No. They want us to fill us with this life and with this world. And they want to dictate to us everything, dictate to us how we live. And they want us to forget God and forget Jesus. And don't, you, you'll be so tired from working after this world that you won't even have time to go out to church. You'll be exhausted. You'll be glad for a wee nap. You'll be glad to stay at home. Fill your mind with those things and fill your mind with this world. So you get focused on surviving this life and you forget about eternity. You forget about the promises of God and maybe even forget God. They pile things on to the children of Israel and they pile it on to us. They try to bring it in to limit us. The enemy wants us to, wants to remove God from our thinking, from our, our plans, from our, you know, we, we have to keep God in our plans. We have to remember the witness, what he's done in us and what he's going to do. We, ha- we are people of hope, people of promise. And they want to just fill us with the things of this earth. They want to load it onto us and make us work and work and work. And then you're tired. Now you're tired. You can enjoy life. And then you have medical problems and whatever else. They want to just get us distracted that we waste our lives. We lose sight of eternity, lose sight of the kingdom of God. People used to, you know, make an effort to get out to church. You know, God's kingdom needs to be built. God doesn't come down and just build it. He gets, uses us. That's the greatest message of the gospel. God uses us to go to other people with the message. He uses us to do his work on this earth. That is amazing. There's denominations out there that don't let anyone do nothing. And we're willing. Pastor and the, the, the church leadership are willing to let anyone get involved. Go ahead. This is wonderful. The enemy wants to weigh us down with thoughts and cares of this world that, oh, you've you got to build that pyramid over there. You've got to have a pyramid bigger than your neighbor's pyramid. Weigh us down. You know, sometimes we're happy enough to sing about Jesus as my deliverer, but do we say it? Do we pray it? Do we go through motions? We need to get serious about these things. Serious about God. He's done a work in my life. And you know what? I want to tell someone about it. You know what? If I can take someone with me whenever I go, that's all I care about. You know, it's, it's important that we pass something of eternity on. We have to get eternity into our hearts. We have to get eternity into our We're meant to be the people of heaven, the people of God. We have to have something of eternity. The enemy wants to load us down and weigh us down. 
In Daniel, it talks about the uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And remember the three Hebrew children? It says about them, it says that, 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 that Nebuchadnezzar built this golden statue and he put it up there and he plays, played him a note, played music. They had certain instruments. It says, uh, so at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kind of music, all the people, nations, languages, fell down and worshipped. They want to build something. They want to make something else. They want to dictate to us what we can do. They, want to dic- they, want, they don't want to have us have any freedom. Dictate to us what we can build. Now they're dictating to us how we worship dictating to the people of God what they were to do. You hear that music? You can't play your music. You've got to play our music. You can't play that Christian music. That's just dodgy. You've got to play our music. You've got to like that. I, 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 I loathe the fact that I'm not allowed to play any sort of Christian music in my work. Um, I listen to all sorts of manner of garbage. They try to dictate what kind of music you worship to when you hold your services, what you do in your services. They have an ideal image of what life is meant to be like. And there's no room in that image for your own personal relationship with God. There's no room in that life for church. People look at you whenever you go out to church and go, what are you going out there for? And, and twice on a Sunday. Because they've got a way they want to do is bring, bring it all down. They want to wipe it out. They want to, to put so much pressure on us. In Daniel 6, it talks about, the sta- uh, about them bringing the statute and saying to the people, um, you're not allowed to pray to anyone else or make a request of anyone else other than Nebuchadnezzar in this period of time. They wanted to limit how he, uh, who they prayed to and how they prayed. Limited in their faith. They're happy enough with the fluffy stuff, but they don't want any substance. They don't want any people who are passionate about the things of God. They don't want any people who are confident in the word of God. Yes, maybe we haven't articulated it very well in the past, but we still have a word that is, uh, that is powerful. We still have a, a Bible that has been analyzed and scrutinized more than any other book. We still have a message that changes lives. I mean, it doesn't take much, to, as I said at the beginning, to look around and see lives that are changed. Talk to people who we know, families uh, around the world who have, have had a real impact. God has changed lives. He's still in the business of changing lives. And they don't want us to believe it. They want us to forget it. Become so bogged down with things. Just become so wrapped up in the cares of this world to be some, so full of their social agenda to pass this law or to pass that law that we forget that, you know what, you, you, they sound reasonable. But the truth is, it, it's lies. It's deception. It's subtlety. Deal shrewdly with them. They want to push it in under the counter, under the covers. The whole thing at the moment with this uh, gay marriage is gay marriage vote. I was reading an article there this past week, which was saying, in some ways, this is such a surprise that it's passed in so many countries around the world. Because 10 years ago, when it first surfaced, there was no traction, no one really interested. But all of a sudden, last 10 years, boom, laws are passed. People are getting married. Thailand, I don't know if anyone's seen that article, but some three, three men got married in Thailand. Such a change because everyone in this world has been conditioned to uh, be afraid of discrimination. Discrimination is a, a tag that they, they attach. Oh, you're, being, you're discriminating, uh, which it's right not to discriminate. But we are, as the people of God, we're called to, to um, honor the sanctity of life. All life is precious to us. All life is the gift of God to us. All life is precious. All race is precious because that's a gift of God. We didn't pick our race. God has given us a unique diversity of races around the world and all should be respected and, and given worth and value. And God has also given us all our sexuality. And it is sanctity in sexuality as a man and as a woman. And God has given those things. And we've been, as believers, as a church, we've been praised for, for our work in these areas. But this other one, because it touches the bone or the nerve of love, all of a sudden that's the one they've got an issue with. It's troubling times. days we live in, 
so many things are coming against us. But there's good news. It's good news. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. As I said earlier, there were some people laying their lives down for Christ around the world. And there's some people over here who won't even lay down the remote. I'm not talking about laying down the remote in order to go out and preach in the corner. Some of us aren't, aren't equipped or called or do that. But we won't even lay down the remote to read the Bible. Sometimes we're more, more afraid of losing the, I've got to protect this as my day off. We protect that more than we protect spending time with God and the people of God. Are we busy looking at a pyramid that we're building that the world wants us to look at? Richard, Richard Wormbrand, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, was a believer who was persecuted by communists. Very well-known uh, speaker, well-known man. He voice of the martyrs, I think it is. Um, he said this here. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us, so everyone was happy. <laughs> I'm a wee bit uncomfortable telling someone that I'm going to church tonight, so I'm not going to tell no one. What? Really? I'm nowhere near that standard. I'm nowhere near that standard. He was happy to take a beating so that he could tell someone about Christ. We don't have to take a beating. Maybe verbally, we might have to, but we don't have to take a beating, but we can still talk to someone about Christ. This world, this world hates the message, but there's still people out there who can, get, who can hear the message. There's still people out there, a seed could be planted, Oh, a seed could be watered. A seed could be harvested. You just never know. <coughs> I was speaking there, I was thinking this week also about Acts 7, you know, Stephen. And he was the first martyr of the church we all know. Stephen was, was preaching and they all came around him, the, the religious group. And as he spoke and he told them about their history and how Jesus was the fulfillment and how they, they had resisted God and how they had uh, turned their back on him and now you've killed the prophets and, and how he was preaching to them honestly. It should be noted that the reformers, for them, the biggest ideal, the greatest ideal was truth. They actually, one reformer wrote to another reformer and said to him, you're a man of peace, which was an insult which means you're not a man of truth. A man of truth will stand up and say it regardless. A man of peace will say whatever everyone wants to hear. I'm not saying we're here to cause trouble, but, our, our, but people don't like the message. Stephen got up and preached the message. He started telling them about their past, their history, and about Jesus being the fulfillment of it all. And they took him out of the city. It says actually, um, and they cried... Acts 7, 57, it says, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I would remind you of what Christ said on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen was standing facing these men, preaching to them, telling them the message of heaven, message from another kingdom. They were unaccustomed to it. They didn't like it. 
I'm sure he's seen it in their eyes. I'm sure of it. You've seen someone standing looking at you with full of anger and full of hatred. I've seen it. I'm sure he's seen it, but he didn't change his message. He didn't back down. He kept on preaching. He kept on talking, kept on telling them about Jesus. And then they ran at him. They stopped their ears and they ran at him. We don't want to hear it. Stopped their ears and they just charged. He knew the end was over. (coughs) Sometimes the reactions we get from those around us, it's because their consciences have been pricked. It's because something in them is, is going, oh no, that means I'm going to have to change my lifestyle. That means I'm going to have to respond in some way. I was talking to Sally and Joyce this morning. We were talking about a a certain story. And I said to them, you know, it's an old worldly colloquialism. You know, you throw a stone into a pack of dogs and the one who yelps is the one who got hit. And it's true. I I don't mean to, I actually was thinking to myself, I feel bad saying that, a pack of dogs. But Jesus called, Jesus said about dogs, not right to give the meat to the dogs whenever the children should be fed first. But anyway, you can tell sometimes whenever you say things, you know, a situation not too long ago where I was in, um, there was, a, a, let's say, some subtle godly influences going out on a podcast that would be listened to rather loudly in our house. And uh, Sharon was, was out picking someone up, <laughs> trying to be politically correct, really difficult. And um, the reaction was evident and uh, she, she didn't know what had happened beforehand. And uh, she said to me, oh, the reaction, that was, that was oh, I, I'm, I'm in tears. I'm almost in tears. I, I'm just so emotional, that reaction. It's unexpected and all the rest. And I said, well, the truth is before, before he went out to work, um, I said he sat, he sat and listened to an hour of <laughs> sermons on my uh, stereo. <laughs> so there were things pricking his conscience. You have to remember that sometimes, you know, our, our loved ones might be far from God sometimes, you know. But the thing is that they still, it still gets in there. We don't know what's affecting them. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. We don't know what he's saying. As long as we're walking in love and, and peace and before them, uh, love and grace, God can do mighty things still. It's important to note when Stephen here is preaching to these here people who were about to stone him. <coughs> the truth is that he wasn't preaching to them. Their eyes were closed, their scales were over their eyes, their ears were bunged up, their hearts were hardened. He was preaching to one man standing at the back. We don't know who we're speaking to. We might speak to a couple of people and you might have, you know, just as, as Wilson was saying today, he had one Christian guy and three other friends. He was witnessing to them. You just don't know what's going on in someone else's heart. You don't know what, what thoughts they're already having, what difficulties they're having, but there could be a, a soul standing at the back could be a soul standing there. You could hear the message and it gets in there and it starts playing over in their mind. I don't want this message to be one where we're sitting going like, oh, this is terrible. They're coming at us. They're coming at us. I better hunker down. I better prepare for the end. Uh, this is it. It's, it's the last days. It's a tribulation. It's going to come any day now. The rapture and we're all away. Thank Lord for that. I don't want that. That's not the purpose for this message. This is the awareness of what we're facing in these days. And it's also a message to to action. It's a a desire to get us into action. It's a a message to give us hope. You know, Jonah went to Nineveh with a message that judgment is coming. And um, for all intents and purposes, it's safe to assume that a month later, God had said, right, I'm going to go get them. You go there, I'll give them a month, and then I'm going to get them. It says actually that, that the judgment didn't actually fall. I think it was another hundred years or at least another generation. So Jonah's efforts, although they were reluctant, his efforts caused the entire city to repent, caused them to <laughs> repent. We're talking tonight about the, the reaction of this world and their hatred for Christ and the message of Christ. And sometimes I get filled with these ideas and these thoughts that, oh, it's the last days. This is it. You know, I'm just punkering down. I'm going to keep calling Sharon when she's at work and texting her. And if she doesn't reply, it, it must be the rapture. I'll be going any, day, any time now, you know. We shouldn't be like that. 
you know what? We should be thinking to ourselves, maybe this could be the last generation. Maybe we can get them saved for Christ. Pastor preached last Sunday there about, about revival. I missed it because I was at work. But you know what? God can still have revival. God can still pour out his spirit. We can still see churches filled all over this country. God can still save. He's, Jonah went to a city that was doomed, a city that didn't even know God, and they repented. And it, it stayed the hand of judgment. We should be that sort of people. We should be people walking in grace and truth. Abraham bargained with the angel of the Lord for Sodom. He said to him, oh no, maybe if we can find 50 righteous people. What about 45? What about, I've written it down, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. He went down, he, he bargained with them. Could we find this many righteous people for the sake of the city? He could have said, can you get my, my uh, nephew Lot out of there first and then you can judge him? You know, that sort, that's all Sodom. He didn't. He prayed for them. He prayed for them. He interceded for them. He stood there and said, no, no, don't judge them. No, no, don't, don't kill them all yet. And you know what? That should, have been, that should be our main message. It gets distracted with the things of this world. It gets distracted sometimes with our own passion for, it's rightly so, a passion for the word and a passion for the righteousness of God. And we can get, we can get filled with that and it's good and it's right, but we have to remember to walk in grace and love. Abraham didn't say, go get them. Those sort, we've heard all about them. We've read about them. We know about them. He didn't say that at all. He said, don't go and judge the people of Sodom. There's some churches, I'm sure, uh, sad to say, where they'd be calling down the fire and brimstone on the gay pride parade. They'd be calling down fire, judgment of God on those things. And it, don't get me wrong, there's, God, there's things God has said is good and there's things that God has said is bad. But I'm saying we should be the people who are standing saying, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, save a soul. Save a, a lost soul. Some people are so lost. Some of them don't even know it, but they're lost, hopeless, and desperate. At the Passover, when the angel was passing over Egypt, was there people standing with their shoulder to the door? The, the, the angel of judgment is coming and they're standing there going like, no, not those ones. We know where you've been. We know what sort of people you are. You can't come in. We should be the people standing with the door open saying, come, come, listen. People are people. People are people. They all need Christ. We all were lost and undone without Christ. We were all lost. There's a conflict and we can't let ourselves get so wrapped up in it that we become angry and we exhibit the same anger and hatred and bitterness that we're receiving. It's a hard thing to do, but it's important to do. James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our wrath and our anger and our frustrations can, can cause people just to get their nose cut off. They're not going to smell the flowers whenever you hand it to them. Remember to walk in grace. That person who commented on Facebook earlier, I replied with, thanks for, I, my comment was, thanks for replying. Appreciate your, your viewing our page. Why don't you come along to our service? We'll be happy to answer any questions you have about God, how God speaks to his people, how God loves us, and the God, wisdom of God, and things like that there. That's a better way to reply because it, I didn't insult them. Because people are people. Nobody likes to get insulted. The world is in the balance. God has given us the privilege and the responsibility of reaching this world. Even though they hate the message, even though they hate the Christ, it's still up to us to rise above it and to see the bigger picture and to be the people of God that he's called us to be. Let's just pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we praise you and we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, that you are still the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Lord God in heaven, that your kingdom is without fail, Lord. 
We thank you, dear God, for the hope that you have given us, for the life that you have put inside us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your protection, Lord, for your care and for your provision, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom, Lord, and grace and mercy and helping us, Lord, to deal with these difficult times, Lord, to deal with those conversations, Lord, that we have in the workplace and conversations at home, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'll help us, Lord, to be salt and light in this generation. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, Help us, Lord, to reach souls, save souls, Lord God, and move once again in our land for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.